0: this morning as you uh took a look up here you realized that we got a little bit different set uh up here uh, this is from uh this weekend when uh, we had close to about 1400 women that were here a part of the conference with Jen Hatmaker and it was an amazing uh friday night and saturday morning and uh, a lot of women's lives were changed and hearts were refreshed and so that's our our backdrop over here I started to walk in and sing uh, my Mr. Rogers song you know uh but uh, then I decided not to so um uh but it's kind of got that got feel but it's a pretty appropriate feel because we're going to start a three-part series and entitled uh, living life together living life together you see life is all about relationships husband wife Student, teacher, employee, employer, roommate to roommate, parent, child. Everything is built around relationships. And how we handle relationships will determine the happiness of our life and also our well-being. Those relationships tank, it makes it for a difficulty in life. Those relationships are vibrant and strong, it makes it for a good life. And so how do you live life together? You can't live on an island by yourself. You know, I am not a rock. You know, I'm, I'm not an island. You will interact with people. and There are relationships. And, and for us, over these next few weeks, we want to figure out how can we live life together? And you can go to the bookstore and you can find a lot of self-help books. And they're all full of, of information as to how you can best handle relationships. But I want to introduce you to a book that is tucked into the New Testament, that is the shortest book in all the New Testament. It's only one chapter, and it's the book of Philemon, and it's tucked in right between Titus and Hebrews. Now, for some of you, just the fact I said it was next to Titus didn't really help you very much, okay? But it's between Titus and Hebrews, and there is Philemon. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes introduction, which will give you plenty of time to flip in your Bible and find the book of Philemon. It's between Titus and Hebrews, and it is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And there are really three main people within this entire letter, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Now, Paul is the Apostle who wrote half the New Testament and was planting churches and was arrested and was incarcerated because of his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so he is in Rome and he is in prison. And he's writing a letter to a man by the name of Philemon. That's who the book is named after. And Philemon is a wealthy landowner. And so this is a businessman. He's very successful. He lives in the city of Colossae, which today is about the southwest corner of Turkey, is where he lives. And so Paul interacted and met this man at one time, and he led him to faith in Christ. And so Philemon a successful businessman, a believer in Christ, and you'll even come to find out later that the church in Colossae is in his house. So he houses the church that's there in Colossae. And so you've got Philemon, and he's, and Paul's writing this letter to him, but the reason he's writing this letter to him is because Philemon had a slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away. He was disloyal to him. And when he ran, according to scripture, you can pretty well pick up the fact that he stole some goods along the way. So he was disloyal to his owner or his employer, however you want to put that. He ran and when he ran away and probably stole some things, he ended up in Rome. And when Onesimus ended up in Rome, he ended up connecting with Paul. (laughs) And when he connected with Paul, Paul shared the gospel with him and he became a believer. And so now all of a sudden, Onesimus is a believer. And he is staying and helping Paul. He's ministering to Paul while Paul is in house arrest. But then there came a day when he needed to go back home. He needed to right the wrongs. He needed to to work out this relationship, this breach of a relationship with Philemon. And so what Paul is doing is writing a letter to Philemon to pave the way for Onesimus to go back. And then the question is, Will Philemon accept him or reject him? Because according to their laws of that day, he could either have that slave killed or or he could just make life tough for him. He could just completely reject him. What will he do? Well, Paul is writing this letter to pave the way for Onesimus to go back. Onesimus is not being forced to go back. He just knows he's got to take this next step in in his journey. And he's ready to go back to Colossae. So that's the story that we have. And so I want you, if you've got your Bibles open, I want you to look in Philemon. And we are going to start with the first verse and go through seven verses. Let's start the very first verse. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Now just right there in the introduction. If you go through the New Testament letters, Paul will always start out with a greeting. Sometimes he'll say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, kind of letting people know what his authority is. But in this instance, he doesn't do that. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He says, Philemon, I'm I'm suffering just as others suffer. I kind of can even relate to Onesimus. Here I am, I'm a prisoner, and I'm a prisoner for Christ And so what he's getting ready to do is he's going to appeal to Philemon's compassion and not to a specific sense of duty. He's not being heavy handed. He's not throwing his authority at him. And so he says, this is to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, we believe that's Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, many believe that's Philemon's son. So he's got his wife, got his son, and the church in your house. And the church in your house, the church there in Colossae that meets there in your house. Now, this is interesting because it is a personal letter written to Philemon, but yet it is also written to the whole church. So if someone was writing me a letter, wanting me to do something, but yet when it was read, it was read to all of you as a church, that little, <laughs> that kind of put a little pressure. Was Paul trying to put pressure on him? No, not at all. What Paul was saying is, Philemon, what I'm getting ready to ask you to do, to forgive this man and to take him in as a Christian brother, it's going to affect the whole church. And the whole church needs to know this story. Because whatever you do is going to affect how everyone else sees the church. And so nobody needs to be blindsided by this. Everybody needs to understand this. Because if you respond in the way I want you to respond then it could change this church forever. So what Paul is doing, he's asking Philemon to do something completely unheard of and to show unparalleled generosity. And that church needs to know the whole story about what's happened since his departure and to accept him back as a brother. He left as a disloyal slave, but he's returning as a brother in Christ. And so Paul's involving the whole church in this matter. Because Philemon's ethical decision will have immediate repercussions for the whole church. And whenever leaders make decisions, they affect the whole church. Just as as an aside, we come together here. We're not just gathered here together because we all sort of believe the same thing. We're gathered here together because we are a part of the church. And because you're a part of the church, it's a body of faith. Uh, It is what is established by God. And it means that what we as individuals do in our private lives, and our business lives, our school lives, outside the walls of this church, affects what happens on the inside of this church. And when we get a black eye personally, it causes a black eye to the whole fellowship. At the same time, when we do good things, then it's also good things for the church. And so, as he's written this letter, he says, Philemon, and I'm involving the church as a whole. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Good news is, Paul's always praying for Philemon. He says, I'm praying for you, and as I pray for you, I always thank God for you. Why? Why do you thank God for me? Because of verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Because I hear. The tense of that and the the structure of that, that word in the Greek text in which it was written is a continuous tense. So he says, I keep hearing of your love and of faith. Now folks, that's important. It's not like you did one good thing about four years ago that I've heard about, I keep hearing every time people come and people visit me in Rome and they start talking about Colossi, you know what they'll say? Hey, Philemon, let me tell you what he did. Hey, let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you about the love that he did. Let me tell you about the faith that he had. So he says, I keep hearing about this. And because of this, he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He says, I keep hearing this. And, and for Paul, that just speaks to his heart. There's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25, and it says this, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. I mean, that is just good news for him. It's like a refreshing to his soul to hear the great things that are happening with Philemon. And so he says, man, I'm thankful for all of this. And then he comes to verse 7. He says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a great phrase. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Well, if you look up what that word means, the exact title, it means to give rest, to make cool—not like, hey, I'm cool—but uh, you know, to make cool, to relieve from pain, to lift up spirits. You refresh the hearts. Every time I read this, I think about growing up and uh, watching uh, the television commercial Nest Tea. Anybody remember the Nest Tea Plunge? Anyone over here? you got to get out more. Uh, The Nest Tea Plunge. I love that commercial. You know, the guy comes in, he's hot and sweaty, and then he goes over and he gets his Nest Tea and he takes a sip of it, and then what does he do? He just falls backwards into a big swimming pool. And I said, gosh, I want to do that one day. You know? I said, is that not just the most refreshing thing? And it's just a picture of refreshment. It says Nest Tea, the drink that refreshes. And he just falls back. I'm not going to do that, but he just falls back and he falls back into water. Now, if Sim, Mark Sims, when he set this up, if he put a pool here, I probably would have done that. and We would have had a great sermon there, but it's a refreshing Coca-Cola. They used an advertisement that says, a pause that refreshes the pause that refreshes. And whenever you think about refreshment, you think about being tired, being hot. And then all of a sudden you're cooled down you feel good. You're reinvigorated. Your spirits are lifted up. Well, this is what he's talking about. He says the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. When he talks about the hearts, he's talking about the innermost emotions are being refreshed because of you. Listen, we are all on a journey together and there are times where we can get pretty discouraged and we get pretty tired. And there are times when we feel like we can't go another step. And then someone comes alongside of us. And they refresh our hearts. And they give us the boost to keep on going and to better enjoy the journey. And you can go back through your life and say, there were times I was ready to cash it in. Times I was ready to quit. Times I was saying, I'm not doing this anymore. And then somebody comes alongside. And guess what they do? They refresh your heart. And they give you that boost that you need. And you just keep on going. So the question is, is how did Philemon refresh the hearts, and how can we refresh the hearts of others? If we're going to talk about how to live life together, I believe one of the things that every one of us needs to do is we need to be able to refresh the hearts of others. I don't want you to think about the relationships. Put them in your mind. Your spouse, your kids, employees, employers, coaches, athletes, teachers, students. Think about, how can I refresh the hearts of others? Of others. Well, let me give you three things that he says about Philemon. Number one, strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. Strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am thankful for you, Philemon. My heart is refreshed by you, Philemon, because you are strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. I did not make that point because you attend the church at Colossae. I didn't put that point that you had perfect attendance. I said because you're strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. And he talks about this when he says that I hear of your love and your faith. It's an active faith. So what does that mean to be strong in your faith in Jesus Christ? It means at least two things. Number one, that you stand on the truth of God's word. You stand on the truth of God's word. In Colossae during that day, they were dealing with something called syncretism. We deal with that today. What syncretism is, is you get a lot of different beliefs that all try to come in and they just sort of come together and meld together and say, okay, this must be truth. Take a little bit of Bible take a little bit of Buddhism, take a little bit of New Age, take a little bit of Islam, take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we just kind of take the best of all of them, we just pour them all together, and then we say, this is what we believe. And during that day, with all that syncretism, people were putting a big emphasis on knowledge and some were even denying the deity of Christ. But when Paul says that you're standing strong in your faith, that meant That he was not compromising with the culture, but he was standing strong on the fact of who Jesus Christ is. That he said he was the Son of God. That he went to the cross and he died on a cross for our sins. And that three days later, he was raised from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death. And he says, I'm standing on that. I'm going to stand on that truth. You see, in our postmodern world, we're led to believe that everything is relative and that there is no absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and amazingly still be correct, according to our culture. And moral relativism declares what may be right for one person in one context may not be right for another person in a different context. However, Christianity is different because it insists upon the existence of an absolute standard of righteousness that is grounded in God's self-revelation. And such a standard is objective, eternal and universal. You've got to be able to make the stand on the truth of God's Word. There was an article written in the New York Times this past week of a man who demanded that Christians take homosexuality and remove it as a sin. He says Christians need to do that. They need to remove that as a sin. Well, I, you know, I'm sitting there saying, okay, so do we also then take lying and uh, and then we take murder? and uh, we take stealing, and we take adultery. What do we do? Which ones do we remove? And you see, you can't go around and, and pick and choose. You've got to sit there and say, I'm going to stand on God's word. And that's exactly what... Philemon was doing is he was standing strong in his faith in Jesus Christ. Number two is to center your life around God's word. It's more than just memorizing a lot of verses and saying, "Hey, I've got my Bible. I'm gonna I'm gonna read my Bible," which is great. But then you center your life on God's word. You take that word and you apply it to your life. It's not just an academic exercise. It is a dependence on God's word. And see, people are refreshed when they see someone stand up for what they believe and what God's word says. When they live it out, they make a stand, hearts are refreshed. You know, my experience in life is that there will be people that will disagree with me. And, I, and I've, I've gone to school with people that disagree with me. I've gone to work with people that disagree with me. And, and there will be people who will have different views of life views. But you know the one thing I know? is They will always respect me because I'm going to stay consistent with what I believe. And though I may disagree with them, I will have a great respect for them because they stay consistent with what they believe. Nobody's heart gets refreshed when you go wishy-washy. Nobody's heart gets refreshed when you say one thing on Sunday morning and you sit here and we say, oh yeah, we believe all this. And then you get out into the world and you live an entirely different life. Nobody respects that. Nobody gets refreshed on that because you bent to culture. You compromised here on your beliefs and, and, and you, 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 you talk a good game, but you don't walk a good game. Nobody is refreshed. People get their hearts refreshed when they see somebody in a kind, loving way stand for the things of the gospel. It's kind of like what Rick and Mark were saying is that we're not here to to scare people. We're here to tell them about the love of Christ. And so we need to live our lives like that. And so that means to be strong in the faith. And when people are strong in the faith and they stay consistent, they stay committed, it refreshes your heart. I I, I just talked to a good friend uh, last night. And, uh, in talking to him, he had, um, he'd had to bury his mother just a few days earlier. And, and, and his mom, when she died, I said, well, how long was she married? She says, 67 years. 67 years she'd been married to his dad. And she was, the funeral was held at a church which they joined in 1963. It's like 52 years. They were solid members of a fellowship. They were strong in their marriage. They were strong believers through that. I'm telling you, my heart was refreshed just in talking to him. Because when I, I hear that, I'm saying, yes, that's the way it needs to be. How strong is that? And whenever people make their stands and live out their convictions, it will refresh the hearts of others. And so for us to be people that refresh other people's heart, we need to stay strong And our faith in Jesus Christ. But then number two is sincere in your love for all people. Strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. Sincere in your love for all people. In verse 5 he says that I hear of your love towards Jesus and to all the saints. Now it's evident that he expresses his love for the people. Now this is kind of an interesting verse. In in Colossians chapter 1. When Paul is writing to the church that meets in the home of Philemon, look what it says. In writing to this letter, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. I want you to listen to that and see if that sounds familiar. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, the church. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that we have for all the saints. That's exactly what he said about Philemon. So what he said about the church, he said about the individual who houses the church. So I don't know if I'm making a stretch over here, but you know, it's kind of like the... um The personality of the leader is the personality of the church, or the, uh, uh, the personality of the leader is sort of the personality of your team or your, or, or your company. And so here's Philemon, who Paul says, Man, you are strong in your faith. You got a sincere love for others. Then he writes to the church, he says, You are strong in your faith. You got a sincere love for your others. Can you believe the impact this man had? I believe Philemon, in his leadership and in his life, affected the attitude of the whole church. I see some of you that makes you a little nervous because I would ask you the question, what if our whole church had the exact same attitude that you had? Hello. I see some of you are saying it'd be better. That's good. Some of you would say, woe is me. But isn't isn't that amazing? They would say that about him. That's a pretty cool legacy. And so there's a sincere love. And he says, you know, you're showing that, Philemon, and it shows through the whole church. I mean, it permeates among the whole whole church over here. And the love and the faith, and he says here, is for all the saints, all the people. And what Paul would tell them if they're talking face-to-face, he says, and that includes slaves like Onesimus. You have a sincere love for all people. Strong in your faith, sincere love. In Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice... Portia was the beautiful and wealthy heiress, and she had a lot of noble suitors. But her father, in her father's will, he decreed that her husband would be the man who would choose the right chest out of three. And so there were these three chests, and each one of them was inscribed with a message on the outside. And then there was also going to be a note on the inside. And the man that was... To receive her hand. The man that was get the opportunity to marry her. Had to choose the correct chest. And there were three of them. One of them was gold. Beautiful chest. And at the top of it. It was inscribed. Who chooses me. Shall gain what many men desire. But the problem is. That when you open up that chest. All that inside was a skull. With a message in there. And it says this. All that glistens is not gold <clears throat> so there was a second one it was silver and it says who chooses me shall get as much as he deserves wow who chooses me will get as much as he deserves so they opened it up and guess what was inside of it it was the picture of a fool <laughs> and it was essence it says the one who chooses his chest is a fool who gets what he deserves and that's a picture of another fool well, then you had the third chest, and it was made of lead. It wasn't very pretty. But on top of it, this was the message Who chooses me must give and risk all that he has. Who chooses me has to give and risk all that he has. And the person that was willing to open that up, when they did, guess what they saw? It was a picture of Portia. They got the girl. What that meant was, there's big risk, there's big sacrifice. And any time you do sincere love, it will require some type of sacrifice. It may be time, it may be money, it may be effort, but sacrifice will be involved. And that's when we know we really have sincere love, is when we're willing to sacrifice to love other people. Now verse 6 in the book of Philemon you take all the verses, every commentary will tell you this is the most difficult verse to understand. And that's why Michael Ladler is going to come up at this point and No, explain, explain this. <laughs> just as I will sing the next solo, correct? Yes, okay. Okay. It's a confusing verse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Let me just read it. And I pray that the sharing of your faith right there, you would say, hey, that's evangelistic it's really not okay sharing of your faith is very important but in this context that's not what he's talking about the word sharing is the where we get is that koinonia word is where we get fellowship participation there's a oneness so the sharing of your faith is like we share our faith together as believers and whenever people share this faith together it means that there's more of a oneness okay there's a coming together that we are welded together And so he's praying that Philemon would grow in this faith, the same faith that he shares with Paul and others, including Onesimus. And so he's sharing this faith, and he says this, that it may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. It may be effective. It may give you knowledge. It may give you moral insight for the full knowledge of every good thing. I want you to fully understand all the great things that we have in Christ. And then it says that is in us for the sake of Christ, a lot of translations say it should be that we may do for Christ. And so he's saying, in essence, what I'm wanting you to do, Philemon, is I want you to share in the faith with all the other believers. Let there be that oneness and that strength. And when that happens, I want you to have the knowledge and the moral insight to know what to do. And you need to do it for Christ. That's what his desire is. You say, well, why would he say it like that? He said it like that because if there's sincere love, there's going to be a huge amount of sacrifice. Because for Philemon, if he did this reconciliation, it means that there's going to be a sacrifice for him. He would be a man in that day where slavery was so, uh, so strong that he would step outside of that culture and release that slave and say, you're a free man. And that could cause all kind of ripple effects there in the in their church. But then he comes up, and when he says this, then the whole church has to make the same decision. And so is he willing to make that stand? Is he willing to go against what others would say? And see, what he's thinking is, is that this is not a decision that just I hold on to. This is the decision that would affect all. And so he says, I want you to think about what God is saying. And I want you to think about all the brethren. I want you to pray about this. And I want you to have knowledge. I want you to have moral insight to make the right call. Because if you love Anesimus like you should love Anesimus, if you love him, then guess what? You're going to have to take this step. And when you make this step, you're going to get some negative feedback. You're going to get some pushback from some other people along the way. Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you willing to do that? Sincere love. And anytime we show sincere love, it means I'm going to sacrifice some of my time. It may mean I sacrifice some of my money. It may mean I sacrifice some of my effort. But that's sincere love. So I've got strong faith. And I've got sincere love. He says, be strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. Be sincere in your love for all people. But then you get to verse 7. And the last point is this. Super abound in your encouragement to others. I couldn't think of a bigger word. Super abound in your encouragement to others. Paul writes in verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. He says, I have derived much love and joy and comfort. What Paul is doing is saying, big guy, you encourage me. You encourage me. And guess what Paul's doing? He's encouraging Philemon. Philemon's getting this letter and he's saying the apostle Paul says that he's deriving love and comfort from working, from being with me, from us interacting, from what he's hearing about me. He is doing that. And so what Philemon is saying, listen, what Paul is saying, Philemon, your past love, your benevolence to fellow Christian, it refreshes my heart, it encourages me, and now I'm encouraging you with this letter. I want you to superabound in encouragement. If you're going to have a spirit in that church that is going to have a sincere love, going to be strong in the faith, you've got to superabound in encouragement. Be a refresher of hearts, lift up people's spirits, and encouragement is a great way to do this. One person said that encouragement is oxygen to the soul. Encouragement is oxygen to the soul. Somebody write you a nice email, a nice note, write you a little letter. That just gets you going. That kind of fires you up, doesn't it? You know, I'd much rather get a pat on the back than a kick in the pants. And sometimes kicking the pants are needed, but a pat on the back sure is nice to have. And so one of the things we can do is we can super abound in our encouragement. And encouragement has amazing power. I've told this story before about, um, it, it came to me and I understood it best when I was in college. And and I was a member of a fraternity and we had this, uh, we had uh, a track meet. And so every fraternity would put guys together and, and to run the different events. And so I got signed up to be a part of what was called at that time a, um, it's kind of like a 220 relay or so I guess, where you'd run uh, uh, 200, 220, which uh, that's uh, what yards, not meters, but you'd run halfway around the track, and there'd be a relay. So you got four people, and so you got the first guy, he takes a baton, he runs, hands to the second guy, he gives the third guy, and then goes to the fourth guy, and then the race is over. And so you're just to run that that half you just run half of that track and so i was number three i was the third guy and we're and so we've got all these fraternities lined up and the race starts and uh, right before it started the guy that was number two that was going to hand it to me looked me in the eye and he said "Wood, i'll guarantee i'll be in first place when you get the time don't blow it stay that way so, okay all right so sure enough gun shoes people start running our first guy joe allen just taking off and he's looking good but you know the key to a relay is passing the baton if you don't do that real smooth and you know as fraternity guys we didn't spend a whole lot of time out there and working on this and you're supposed to get it in such a way that you run like this and your hands go back here and then they slap the baton and you just keep on going they don't recommend you to stop turn around get the baton and do we had to do that on the first uh, uh exchange and i said oh we're hurting but it was Doug Aman, and he could run like an antelope. And he took it, and all of a sudden, he starts coming around the corner. And I said, sure enough, he's got to lead. So you line up according to what position your team is in. And since we're leading, I'm on the inside. So I take the inside track, and here comes Amen. So I start running. I put my hand back there. He slaps that baton in there. And I start going. I start making the curve. And I'm doing really good. Okay. I'm looking really good. Uh, I've got my stride going for me. You know, I got my little shorts on. I mean, I'm just getting after it. And, and I'm feeling really good. I said, I'm, I'm doing all I need to do. And then all of a sudden, a dreaded Sigma Nu comes up along the, along the right hand side. And I can see him out of the corner of my eye. And then all of a sudden, not only do I see him, but I see him start to go past me. And we're getting ready to go on the turn, and then you're going to go another ways down here. And as he's making that turn, I feel like I'm giving it all I can give. Chester McKinney, sitting in the stands over there, screams out, Run, Danny! It was like, Run, Forrest, run! And and when I heard that voice, it's not like there was a cacophony of sound of hundreds of people screaming. There were just people kind of clapping, but Chester and his voice, it came across. And as soon as it hit me, I kicked into another gear. I mean, I started running faster than I knew I could run. And this guy, he was dust. I mean, he was eating my dust. I mean, he was getting spikes on it. He was getting stuffed on his face. And I just blew by this guy, you know, eh, you know, eh, maybe a little bit, but I did. And And so you go by this guy and then I'm handing off the baton. And I looked around and I said, where did that come from? Where did that extra gear come in? It's all because one guy yelled out encouragement. And when he yelled out the encouragement, I kind of went faster than I thought I could go. You see, I was really comfortable. And I was in stride doing exactly what I thought I could do. But you know what? I could have done a little bit more. I'd have never done more if I didn't get that word of encouragement. And because of what one guy did, I was able to go beyond anything that I thought. And I did my task. I accomplished my task because of that. Super abound in encouragement. Listen, there are people all around us that are in desperate need to be encouraged People whose hearts need to be refreshed. People whose dreams have been demolished. People who are going through depressing times. People who have seen their lives broken. They have crises and they need encouragement. You can be the one to do that. You can refresh the hearts of others by being a person that stands strong in your faith with God, sincere in your love, and did just super bound in encouragement. And just be an encourager to them. This is not on the notes, but I'll give you something easy to write down. Three things that can hopefully stick with your mind. You ready? Number one, be realistic. Be realistic. When I talk about encouragement, I'm not talking about being a sunshine pumper. I'm not just saying, uh, hey, hey, everything's going to be fine. I'm just saying, be realistic in your encouragement. Okay? So, um, just, uh, you know, if if some guy is six feet five and he weighs 280 pounds, don't go slap him on the back and say, I think you'll make a good jockey. You know, that's not going to happen. But just be realistic. In your encouragement. Number two is be optimistic. You ever thought about just being optimistic? I, mean, I, I love the story about the teenager that wrecked his car and he called his dad and he says, "Dad, I've got news for you." What? He says, "The airbags work." <laughs> you know, so, you know, I've got you some good news there. And um, but but optimistic. Vance Havner, an old pastor, state a statement that's always stayed with me. He says, "You can't be optimistic with misty optics, and uh, you just got to be able to look at life and see it through Christ." And, uh, and be optimistic with those. So be realistic, be optimistic, and be specific. Be specific. If you're going to encourage somebody, be specific. Tell them what it is that they did good. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, you did a great job. Really? What? Uh, great job. <laughs> That's not going to do it. You want to be able to zero in. Find something that somebody does that's good and do something right. Look for that and then tell them. The way you handled that customer was incredible. The way you set up this stage was perfect. You know, whatever it is, whatever specific thing it is, encourage people. And let's super abound in that. And when we're trying to live life together with others, just think about the three things we talked about. We're going to be strong in our faith in Jesus Christ. And when you're strong in your faith in Christ, then you've got God's Spirit living within you and controlling your life and helping direct you and help direct the things that you say and, and direct the paths that you take. You've got the power of the faith and you're standing with Him. Then you deal with sincere love for others. I mean for all people. All people. And it doesn't matter their socioeconomic status, doesn't matter their, their racial status, doesn't matter what their worldview is, but you've got a sincere love for all people. And then you just superabound in encouragement. Just think if you did those things, how it would refresh the hearts of others. And when we live life together, it would make those relationships so much better. When those relationships are going good, boy, it sure does make life a lot better. And when those relationships are good, it makes it a lot easier for me to do exactly what Rick and Mark were talking about, and that is just to be able to share my faith out of my life. And see more people come to know Christ. And to see more people living for him. That's our goal. That's our challenge. Let's live life together. Okay? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. And we're thankful for the practical nature of your word. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would take the things just from this small book and from these excerpts, and use them to be able to live lives that are more committed to you and to be able to be stronger in our relationships, the relationships that you bless us with, the people that come into our lives and intersect our lives each day. And may we be stronger witnesses for you because of that. So we pray you speak to our hearts today. And and Lord, I specifically pray that, that you would bring to mind in each person here at least one relationship, one relationship that's on shaky ground, one relationship that is causing pain and uncertainty, one relationship that there's unresolved conflict, one relationship that they're just not sure how to be able to get along, and that through your word, you would give them direction and begin to take the things that we talked about today and strengthen that relationship. And that in the doing of that, that you would receive the honor and the glory through that next step. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.